behind where we've been. It's where we're going. It's about a look toward the future. And and because of that, it kind of reminds me of the beginning of the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for several months now, eight or nine months, looking at how the church began and what God was doing in those times and with those people in their lives. Amazing things that we've seen in the stories we've looked at. But at the very beginning, you remember last September, we were in the, the Performing Arts Center over at the high school, and, and we talked about chapter 1. In verse 8 of, of chapter 1, Jesus says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. You know, this was sort of a graduation for the, for the followers of Jesus, for the disciples that were there. Because they had spent years with him, learning, watching him, observing him. And this was going to be the very last time they were together. But instead of looking back on the, the stuff they did, the good stuff, the challenging times, all of the different things, instead, Jesus here is focusing on the future. He says, here's what I want you to do. And he, and he lays out a plan for them. I want you to, I want you to take this this news about the kingdom of God. I want you to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. Now that's where they were, so they wouldn't have had to go far to get to the place to start. But it's not where they were from. You see, they were all from Galilee, which was way out in the sticks as far as the people in Jerusalem were concerned. They were sort of the, the, the hicks from the countryside, the country bumpkins. And in Jerusalem, you had the, the sophisticated people, the elite people, the, the political leaders, the religious leaders. Anybody who was anybody was in Jerusalem. You're going to have a hard time finding a table in a restaurant if you didn't know somebody in this town, okay? I mean, it was, it was where everybody was. And Jesus says, look, the place I want you to start doing this, this this incredible mission that I have for you to do, is I want you to start right here in Jerusalem. That was tough. But that's not where it stopped. He said, and then then I want you to go to all Judea. That would be like saying to us, you know, I I want you to not only be my witnesses here in Dallas-Fort Worth, I want you to take, take the story that I have for you. I want you to take the good news to the whole state of Texas all 20 or 30 million people here. That's that's a daunting task. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says, I want you to be my witnesses in Samaria. And Samaria was really, really going to be a stretch because unlike Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria was a whole different culture. I mean, it was completely different. They, they, they kind of started out as the same people, but over the years, the people in Samaria had, had gone way, way far away from, from what the Jewish people believed and taught and practiced. 
I mean, I mean, they, they, they had gone on some, some wild thing, and they, they, didn't, they didn't do things the way they were supposed to be done. And because of that, there was not only a difference between the, the Samaritans and the Jews, there was a real, well, there was a real animosity there. They despised each other. They didn't have anything to do with each other, the Bible says. And Jesus says, okay, what I want you to do, your mission is to go to Jerusalem and to all Judea, but also to go to Samaria, to people that are not just unlike you because they're the sophisticated people, but people that are unlike you because they, they hold to things that are totally different than your values and your ideals. And then there was one more. Oh, yeah, it was the ends of the earth. Just go cover the globe. Just go take it to everybody. That was the mission that he gives. And this is, okay, look, you're graduating now, guys. This is a graduation ceremony, and here is the future that lies before you. Here is the job you need to be about. Now, to anyone listening, anyone paying attention to what was going on, to anybody who realized who these people were, that would have seemed like the most preposterous thing imaginable. I mean, you've got these, these guys, these 11 guys. It was 12. Now it's 11. And he, they're, they're not really anyone to speak of. I mean, they've never done anything noteworthy that we know of. They, they didn't have any political connections. They didn't have any financial resources. They didn't have any particular gifts or talents or abilities. They didn't have any of the things that we would think you would need to do this. They weren't going to make any impression on the world. They were just plain, ordinary folks that had been with Jesus. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to go do. And to anybody listening to that, it would have been absolutely absurd. It would have been ridiculous. It would have been laughable. Except for one thing. They did it. They actually did it. It happened just, just as he told them to. Now, we've spent months looking at this, at this book of Acts so today we want to kind of try to wrap it up, sort of, sort of pull it all together by looking at, at the book one last time. And, and this time we want to kind of try to see the overarching emphasis of the book. What's this about? I mean, we've seen some amazing stories of how God was at work, some amazing situations that, that God worked through. We want to see, okay, what's the point? What's the point? What, what's, what's the message for us here? And what we're going to do is we're going to try to go through the various parts of the book. You get to a section, you come to the end of a section, and there's sort of a summary statement. Sort of, a, okay, here's what was going on. And what we want to do is, is we want to look at some of those. We don't have time to look at them all, but we want to look at some of those and try to understand what this is about. Because the story of God, as we see it in the book of Acts, is not the end of the story. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts in them, if you will. We're going to be looking at several passages there and turn to the very end. We're going to be looking at, we're going to be talking about Acts 29 today, very end of the, of the book of Acts. And if you're looking in the book of Acts at the end, you'll see it only has 28 chapters because chapter 29 hasn't been written yet, okay? 
I mean, what God did in working through his people, in working to, to expand the borders of the kingdom, didn't stop with Acts 28. It didn't stop with Revelation 22. He's still doing it. What he did through them back then, he is still doing through us today. And we are in the process, right here at Greenville Oaks, of writing our Acts 29. God's been at work all through history doing that. He's been at work in the great cathedrals in Europe. He's been at work in the, in the underground house churches in China. He's been at work in the, in the little groups of believers in remote villages in Africa. And he's working here. And it's our turn. And it's our time. And this is our place. And we need to be thinking about, we need to be wrestling with, we need to be answering the question, okay, what is the... What is the chapter that we're going to write? Right here at Greenville Oaks. What are you going to write in your life? What am I going to write in my life about how God's still working? Because it's our turn. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, whoa, whoa, Keith, you know, you're getting, you're getting a little out there, aren't you? I mean, come on, Acts 29. God is still at work whenever we're willing to let him work. Now, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 sort of provides an outline of the whole book, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we read about this good news of Jesus being spread just like he had described. And then we read these little summary statements. The first one comes in Acts 2 and verse 47. After the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised, after the Holy Spirit comes and gives power to the church, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It begins to grow. The word begins to spread. They begin to, to be witnesses, like he said. They begin to share their, their faith story, their God stories with people. And the church begins to grow. But here's the question for us. Who is it in that verse? Who is it that made that happen? Who's the one doing it? The Lord. God did it. It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the. It was God that was at work making it happen. You know, so many times I think that we feel like if this is gonna if this is gonna happen, if we're gonna do this, it's up to us. We're going to be the ones that are going to make it happen. And we're going to do things just right. We're going to do things the right time and the right way. We're going to get it all done right. And if we do that, then we're going to, we're going to accomplish this wonderful growth of the kingdom. And so because we feel that way, we place this great burden on ourselves to make sure we get everything just right, that we do it just right. Let me ask you a question. Let me give you an example. Have you ever, have you ever had a chance or, or felt a compelled to share your faith story, to share the story of Christ with somebody, but you didn't because you were afraid? Because you were afraid, I, I, I might make a mistake. I, I don't know if I know enough. I'm not sure I would approach it the right way. I don't know. And, and because you just, you just couldn't quite bring yourself to do it. If you've ever been afraid, if you've ever been afraid you were going to make a mistake and so you kept your mouth shut, I have. 
I mean, if you don't want to raise your hand physically, then raise it mentally. I've had that fear. Because I get sucked in to what the deceiver wants us to think. And that's, you can't make a mistake. you got to get it right. you got to make sure you do it right. And if you don't have it all down, and if you're just not there, then you just better not do anything. You just better be quiet. And because of that, I have failed to do what I need to do sometimes. And I don't think I'm the only one in this room that's done that. We have to get past that deception, that fear, that, that thinking we've got to do it all right. I read this week about a, a, a renowned conductor. His specialty is dealing with gifted and talented students that, that play various instruments in the orchestra. And they come to him especially because he works with gifted students. And he says, he says the number one challenge those students have, the number one hurdle they have to get past in order to fulfill their potential, in order to be what God made them to be, is he said they have to get over the fear of making a mistake. Because you see, they're really good, and they put great high standards on themselves, and they want to be the very best, and so they don't ever want to mess up. And what that is, that, that, that fear of making a mistake paralyzes them, and they never just let loose and really experience what, what they're capable of doing. And he says he teaches them to do something. He says he teaches them when they make a mistake to just stop and to raise their hands and say, fascinating. And then go and start playing again. Brothers and sisters, in the church, we need to be saying fascinating a lot more than we do. Because we get paralyzed and we are afraid that we're going to do something wrong. Or we're going to go the wrong place. Or we're going to do the wrong thing. Or we don't know exactly how it's going to end. And so we just kind of get paralyzed and we freeze and we stop. And we're afraid to move and to do the kinds of things that the church in the New Testament, the church in Acts did because we don't think we're supposed to make any mistakes. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't say, not one time did he ever say to his disciples, go into all the world and don't make any mistakes. He didn't say that. Although if you listen to some people, if you talk to some people, you get the impression that's exactly what he said because that's what it's all about. We just don't want to make a mistake. And when we listen to the enemy's deception, to his lie, then we just kind of hunker down. And we don't move, and we don't do anything, and we don't go anywhere. We can do that individually. We can do it as a church. Do you think that the disciples that he was talking to, do you think they made any mistakes? We know they made mistakes. We've been reading about their mistakes for eight or nine months now. They're going to make mistakes. You know what? If we do what they did, we're going to make mistakes too. But we have a God who is big enough to deal with our mistakes. We've got to get out of this paralyzing fear and move forward if we're going to write Acts 29 here in this place. Next summary statement's in chapter 6. Turn over there. Followers of Jesus are having to deal with a problem. You see, (laughs) they made one of those mistakes. They weren't doing things really well. 
They had a problem with the, some of the widows weren't being treated fairly. They, they weren't getting the same amount of care as some of the other ones. And they looked at that and they said, whoa, we've got to fix that. And they did. That's what you do when you make a mistake. You don't go back and crawl in a hole somewhere. You say, that's, that's not right. We're going to fix that. And you fix it and you move forward. And that's what they did. Acts 6, verse 7. So, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. They're witnessing there in Jerusalem, and, and man, they're, they're going like gangbusters, great stuff. But do you notice the person, the group of people in particular, it says became obedient to the faith, they, they, they became followers of Jesus? Priests. Who would have thunk it? I mean, of all people that would have become followers of Jesus, the priests, these are the guys that, that had the most to lose by going over to the side of Jesus. These are the people that, that were part of why Jesus was crucified because they were defending their turf. They didn't want that stuff. And yet, the priests, when they saw God at work, they became obedient to the faith. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, you know, that person, I mean, somebody at work, somebody who's a neighbor, somebody you just met in any situation, and, and because you, you saw how they acted, you, saw the, you heard the things they said, you, you just got a sense of who they were and where they were coming from, and you thought, you know, that that person has no spiritual inclination whatsoever. And you thought, I don't need to waste my time telling them about Jesus. I mean, they're not interested. There's no way that's going to go. And so you didn't say anything. Because you thought, well, it's just going to make us both uncomfortable. Might make our relationship awkward. So you just kept quiet. Brothers and sisters, who do we think could possibly give us permission to decide for someone that they're not interested in Jesus Christ and never say anything? How do we get off doing that? There is no one outside the reach of God. There is no one too far away, too far gone to come to Christ. Our job is not to make that happen. Our job is just to, to open our mouth and share with them. Our job is just to give them the opportunity. God's the one that's going to work on their heart, not us. But God calls us to tell people about Jesus. There's some people in this room right now that in their life had a time when people looked at them and said, there is no way that person is ever going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But we don't know that. We have the responsibility to tell people the story of Jesus 
and let God work on their heart. Next summary statements in chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Then verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. A couple of things here. They're still in Jerusalem. That's where they started back in chapter 1, back in chapter 2, Jerusalem. And they were still taking care of the church there. It was an amazing thing happened. I mean, right out of the bat, right, right first thing, there's 3,000 people. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. I mean, they had a mega church right away. And, and the, the apostles that are there, the leaders of the church, they're, they're, they're rejoicing at that. They're marveling at the incredible things that God has done. And they're, and they're trying to take care of these people. And they're trying to, to help them grow in faith. And they're trying to get them grounded. And they're, they're trying, to, trying to safeguard the church and, and, and help them learn how to do this. But, you know, now we get back to chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. And guess what? They're still right there in Jerusalem, right where they started. You know, we have a real tendency to say, wow, this is wonderful what we have here. We got to take care of this. We got to really make sure everything's going. We got to nurture people and, and, and have foster spiritual growth. And, and we've got to be about serving the needs of people. We got to be about protecting this. And we can get so caught up in ourselves that we never leave where we started. That's what was going on. And so you know what happens? Persecution happens. Persecution comes. And they get scattered all over the place. Now, God didn't send the persecution. God didn't create that. God doesn't create bad things in your life or mine. But you know what? When those things come, God can use them to do amazing things. You see... Some of the religious leaders instigated the persecution to try to squelch this movement, this people believing in Jesus. But instead of doing that, it had the opposite effect. And God used what was intended for evil to do great things. And so everybody left. I mean, they all got out of Jerusalem. I mean, they went, they went everywhere. They went all through Judea and Samaria. They went all these places. Wherever they went, they started telling people about Jesus. Well, almost all of them did. There was one group of people that stayed behind. You remember who it was? Except the apostles. Except the leaders of the church. Now, here you go. You got the leaders of the church staying there in Jerusalem, and you got all the rest of the people going out. And what happens? The word starts to spread like wildfire because people are telling people about Jesus. You see, folks, it's really not just the job of the leaders of the church, the elders or the ministers or the, 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 the clergy, the professionals. That's not whose job it is to be a witness of Jesus. It's all our jobs. It's your job. It's my job. Every single one of us has that role. Every single one of us is responsible for telling people about Jesus. Because there's still going to be persecution in the world. I mean, 
you, you can read stories every day about some new kind of persecution somewhere. In, in, in Africa, there's, there's civil war and there's genocide and there's, there's horrible attacks against believers in Jesus. Not to mention uh, famine and, and, and disease and all kinds of things going on there. And yet right now in Africa, there's is probably the most explosive time of growth of the Christian faith than any continent has ever seen in the history of the world. You see, God can take those difficult circumstances and show people, help people understand Jesus is the only way to deal with that. It's not just in Africa, in India. There's all kinds of horrible persecution against Christians. People, people go into churches and start shooting people. people they, or they, they lock up the church and set it on fire. There's, there's horrific things that go on in India, and we hear very little about it. But did you know that right now they're, they're suggesting that 7 to 10% of the population is coming to faith in Christ? Or in, in China, China, 1949, the communists took over, kicked out all the missionaries, and everybody said, well, that's the end of that. There's about 2 million people, 2 million people who are following Jesus there in China at the time. And they thought, well, that'll just dry up and blow away because that's a drop in the bucket for the population of China. Today, best estimates are there are 100 million followers of Jesus Christ in the nation of China. Persecution doesn't stand a chance when God is at work in a place. But it's not because of the professionals. They got kicked out. It's because people said, it's my job to tell somebody about Jesus. Next summary statements in chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I want to look at one word here because we've seen it repeatedly in these summary statements we've talked about, we've looked at. It's the word numbers. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. Acts has a lot to say about numbers. Have you noticed? I mean, in the beginning, it lists the 11 people that that Jesus gave this commission to. And then, and then in, in chapter 1 and verse, verse 15, it talks about 120 people were together in a place. And then in, in chapter 2, we, we read where there are 3,000 people that came to faith in Christ that first day. Let me ask you a question. How did they know that? How did they know those numbers? It's real simple. They counted them. They counted people. Now, Sometimes in churches today, you have a conversation with somebody and somebody says something that sounds real spiritual. It, it, it kind of sounds like this kind of, well, you know, we're not really into numbers at our church because we, we believe more in quality instead of quantity. And it, it sounds kind of like a real spiritual thing. Let me tell you, folks, numbers matter. Not because of numbers, but because every number represents a person. It's not about numbers. It's about people. A couple of months ago, Cindy and I went, went to Disney World, took our four granddaughters to Disney World along with their parents. 
Sometimes we would, we would have the, the four little girls with us and the parents would be somewhere else and then we'd come back together. And when we did, imagine if when we came back together, we had only had three. And they looked and they counted and they said, hey, you've only got three. What's, what's, where, where's the other one? And we said, oh, we're not into numbers. These are quality granddaughters here. We're really not. We don't get hung up on numbers. Come on. We're not going to do that. Because it's not about numbers. It's about people. They represent people. People that we care about. People that we love. People that we give our lives to. And let me tell you. Numbers are people. There's not a person driving up and down Greenville Avenue right now or 75 that isn't somebody that matters to God. They matter because God cares about those people. There's not anybody that's going to be at Chili's or Cheddar's or Olive Garden or, or McDonald's eating lunch when we get through here that doesn't matter to God. You have never met a person on this planet in your entire life for whom Jesus Christ didn't die. And if he cared enough to die for them, shouldn't we care enough to count them, to, make, to say they matter? People matter to God. And for a church to say, well, you know, we just, we just really need to be focusing on us. You know, if somebody wants to come in, that's okay. We won't, we won't turn them away, at least not most of them occasionally. But, but, you know, we need to be caring for the flock. We need to be feeding the church family here. We need to be nurturing spiritual growth and all that. And so we just really excuse ourselves from going out and helping people understand who Jesus is and the difference he can make in their life. That is not acceptable. That's not the mission Jesus gave us. It's not the call that's on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Wish we could go on, but our, our time's about out. That's the message of the book of Acts. God took ordinary, everyday, nondescript, uninspiring, typical people, And he used them to begin a movement that changed the world like it had never been changed before. And God still has the same mission for me and for you right now in this place at this time with this group of people. And we need to understand that we need to accept that because God is calling us to do the same thing that he called them to do 2,000 years ago. He's going to be the power, not us, but he's going to use us. You see, now it's our day. Now it's our turn. Now it's time for Acts 29. It's time for us to write the story of what God is doing in this place with this people, with me and with you. We can choose 
to be afraid of something. We can choose to just kind of hunker down because we don't want to make a mistake. We can choose to say, well, we're just going to focus on the church here, on one another. We can choose to just stay right where we are. Or we can choose to join the people that we've been reading about in Acts. People like Peter and John and Philip and Stephen, Barnabas and Paul, Silas and John Mark, Aquila and Priscilla, Lydia and Tabitha, and on and on we could go. And we can say, God, we want you to use us to make a difference in the world wherever we are, just like you did then, because he's still big enough to do it. What are you letting you keep yourself from that? I want to invite you to do something today. I've already invited you to go and sit in the fireside, on the fireside room, the lamplighter room back there and visit with one of our elders, couples. I want to invite you to be a part of something as we consider this, as we wrestle with this, as we as a church family look to where God is leading us, this mission that he gave them in Acts. Our elders and ministers a couple of months ago read a book called Deep and Wide. Andy Stanley's the author. Really good book. It's an easy read, easy to understand, very encouraging. The title comes from the children's song, Deep and Wide. But what the significance is, is we need to be deep in the faith. We don't need to just be shallow Christians. We don't need to be nominal Christians. We need to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. But it's not just about being deep. It's also about being wide. It's about casting that net out there. It's about sharing our faith. It's about bringing people to Christ. We do not have the prerogative to choose one or the other of those alone if we are going to be obedient to God's call on our lives. It's a both and job. And we want to encourage you to get a copy of that book and read it uh, you, can, you can go online and order you a copy. You can get it on Christian Audio for seven or eight bucks. You can br- get it on Kindle for 10 or 11 bucks. If you want a hard copy like some of us do, they retail for $25 at Mardell or Family Christian or, or whatever. But <clears throat> we, can, we will provide them for you at a, at a couple of bo- dollars discount of $15 a copy for anybody that wants it. But we want to encourage you to read. In fact, we're going to order a bunch of the books. If you want one, I would ask you to go online. You can do it after church today. You can do it tomorrow, but go online, Greenville Oaks website, click on events and then event registration, and then click on the link to the uh, deep and wide discussion groups because we don't want you to just read the book. Some of our elders and some of our ministers are going to lead discussion groups focused on that. Every couple of weeks, we'll meet together through the course of the summer, starting two weeks from today. And they won't just be on Sunday. There'll be some on Sunday and different days of the week. You can sign up for one of those discussion groups there. And if you want us to order you a book, you may want to get your own. But if you want us to order you a book, just let us know that. We'll make sure we have enough for everyone. But we want to encourage you 
to participate in this as we start understanding, we start exploring how God is calling us to reach out with the word of salvation here in, in Collin County, Texas. I hope that you'll do that because God has an amazing chapter in the history of this church to write. We want you, every single one of us, to be a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you still have graduation day for your people. You're still looking for people, young people, old people, new Christians, people who have been followers of Jesus for a long time. We know you still are calling us and saying, I want you right there where you are in your life to be my witness to the world. Oh, God, give us the courage to say yes. Keep us from the deception of the enemy that wants to think that we can't because we might make a mistake or that we might not be as informed as we need to be or as bold as we need to be or we might not be able to do what is needed on our own. But God, let us trust that you will do through us what we could never do by ourselves. Let us be a part of writing Acts 29 in this place at this time in an incredible way as, as only your power can enable. We want to see you do through us today what you did through them then. Make us that kind of people. Give us your grace to do what you planned for us to do. We ask that you do this in the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we pray this in his precious name. And amen. Before we're dismissed, I want to invite you to do one other thing. This is not a